Welcome to the Justin Broker Podcast, where we discuss real estate, business, financial advice, positive mindset training, faith, and so much more. I hope everybody out there is having a great holiday season. I am Mr. Producer, Graydon Square, with the man himself, Justin Fromstein. What's up, man? What's up, buddy? How are you? The newlywed man. Yep, I'm now married. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I was there. You were. The wedding was incredible. I'm, I've heard. I, now, I know that there was a lot of stuff going on for you. So, you know, we can get into that, obviously. We do have a guest. I want to introduce Jared. Um, Jared, you're a pastor of Compassion Church. That is correct. Yeah, I'm grateful to be here. Absolutely. We want to welcome you in here. And normally what we do is just we just have a free-flowing conversation. We just talk about kind of, you know, where you come from, sure. what you're about, and all the things you're bringing to the table. So, sure. But first things first, because this is such an event, I do want to get to Justin's big day. Because, like I said, I was there. It was a beautiful ceremony. You want to get into kind of what you were going through on that day, just briefly, before we get into uh, Jared? The pauses. The positives and the negatives. If you want to talk about the negatives, bro, we can talk about the negatives. I would say that um, I was very nervous, right? I think most men or women, you know, are nervous on their wedding day. I would say that um, it was a beautiful venue we did at the sanctuary. Uh, We had a great time. It was a beautiful venue. We had a lot of amazing friends, family there. Uh, We had uh, perfect, like, weather pretty much. Um, we got to just enjoy the the time together and all that. Um, I did my vows. I was definitely getting choked up when I did my vows. And then when I did the sand, I kept miss the sand. I kept pushing in there, but then I kept missing some of it. So I was like, this is fun. You know, the sand, I was like, okay, I got to, Giselle does some, I do some, she does some, I do some. And I was like, okay, at what point is it? And there was like so much sand. There was a lot of sand. There I'm was. like, how much sand did they fit? It was a little ridiculous. Yeah, I was like, was this is a lot of sand. <laughs> like, I'm like, when is this going to end? We just are like looking at each other like, I did this like eight times. And then we got to go back. But yeah, it was, it was, it was cool. What's but. crazy is, you know, Jared, you were there and I don't want to over, I don't want to underplay your, your sure. role in that because you actually performed the ceremony right. as the pastor yes. for Justin's wedding. That's right. So do you want to talk about your thoughts on that day? Yeah. You know, it was honestly an honor and a privilege. Um, you know, I met Justin from him coming to Compassion Church and I think we really connected pretty quickly just because we're, I think we're different, but we're very similar in that we're both just really upfront personal guys. And, and so we kind of had a little bit of a connection. And so he asked me to uh, officiate his wedding. And it was it was honestly an honor. Um, I love them both a lot. I think they're awesome people, him and Giselle both. I think they balance each other out a lot. Yeah. Um, and I'm really excited to see what marriage will look like for them. But it was a fun day. I do think Justin was really nervous. I, I even was talking to him on the way down up to the front. I was telling him, hey, breathe breathe we're good we're good <laughs> it's nerve-wracking it i've is. only been to a couple of weddings and each time i've seen the groom you know obviously the the bride is doing bride stuff but i kick it with the groom oh and, yeah and the groom is always going through it and so the yes. fact that you wore it as well as you did i was actually pretty surprised that he you did. wore it yeah. he did awesome man he was he was great i kept thinking about bad boys too <laughs> martin lawrence <laughs> woosah I kept having pictures in my head because like yeah. one of my favorite all time movies is Bad Boys and one two three are all good, but when he's like, and he's holding his ears and stuff, you know, it's like iconically how I felt inside. Like I had to woosah myself. Right. Um, but yeah, Jared was like, "Hey man, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be cool." I'm like, "I might even forget everything I'm gonna do." He like, did I, say uh, that. I thought I was gonna be like completely <laughs> speechless on the top. You know, and then just that was crying when she said it. So I was like, oh man, like this is going to be tough. 
Well, we got through it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, Your vows were dope. Yeah. I appreciate it. Your vows were actually dope. I, it, it, I'm sorry. I, I just want to say this one thing about vows because I feel like everyone always tries to come with some like super contrived right. and floaty, fluffy. It was like yours was real, dog. Yeah. Yours was real. It was. It was from the heart. And what I love is even though we had vows that you had written, um, he didn't really follow it. He he just, he knew what was there. He kind of used it a little bit, but I, I knew it because I had read it. He didn't follow it in sequence. He just kind of shared what was on there. And it was really cool to see that. I improvised. That yeah. yeah. I improvised on it because I, I, I was, I feel like when you're reading it, when I read it again, because I was, it was hard for me to figure out what I was going to say because I was like, okay, I met at Walgreens. I, met, I did this. Okay. We met this. I knew this. We got told this. There's a lot of things on my mind. But then when I was reading it, and like Jared helped me with the scripture, but when I was reading it, I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm gonna just be real and be like, this is how I feel, and this is what happened. And I feel like when you're actually reading something, I think that's what makes a really good comedian, a really good actor, is you can take your script and then you become it. And if you improvise it, that makes you the best actor possible because it, something, a script to reality, if you follow it verbatim, sometimes you look. Contrived, yeah. You yeah. look, you look fake, yeah. right? And so I feel like it was um, why it, it came real. across. It was, it was just real from the heart. Yep. So. What's interesting too is right before I, fe I felt okay. So I was sitting in the second row, right, mm -hmm. and I saw you starting to read it, and then you just were like, and then you just put the phone down and you just went, and you spoke basically which what you i'm assuming that you had already set up right like that you already knew your what your bullet points for your I had bullet were. points yeah absolutely bullet points, yeah. but the way it came across is it didn't come across as contrived mm -hmm. and it came across as as real and authentic and i, I think that. when you hear a lot of people's vows they don't come across as authentic they came across as if somebody else wrote them right yeah a rehearsed or yeah yep Absolutely. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. So let me ask you this, Jared. How long have you been in the ministry? So I've been in ministry now a little bit over 10 years, um, which is crazy to think of because um, I was not always in ministry and I never really honestly envisioned myself being in ministry. So it's kind of crazy that here I am 10 years into it. Did you want to be actually go into this this line of kind of community work? No. Um, as a matter of fact, I was not even interested in this kind of work. Um, I actually grew up kind of in a religious home, and I really was turned off by religion. I thought religion was was very ugly. It was my experience growing up in the church was. Um, people pretending that they had it all together when they didn't, and I didn't like that. And um, it really turned me off, honestly. It turned me away from God. Um, I just didn't like it. So when I was about 18, I, uh, I, I was more almost kind of, I wouldn't say atheist, but I was, I was agnostic. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of always believed that there's got to be some kind of being or something, um, but it's probably not personable, probably not something that cares. Um, you know, if, if, if things were created, um, that God probably doesn't care about knowing me, um, if there is some kind of being or some kind of higher intelligence. So that's kind of what my mentality was. And uh, I was living in California. I was going to school out there and um, kind of just living my best life. You know, I was just trying to do what made me happy. And uh, so I went out there to go to school and was partying and hooking up with girls and smoking a lot of weed and, you know, kind of just living that lifestyle. And I had it made. Um, I had my parents, um, you know, they paid for my school out there. So I wasn't working or anything like that. I was just going to school and, and uh, kind of just having fun. And it wasn't until um, I was sitting, I'll never forget, I was in my apartment and I was laying there. And I, I kind of thought to myself, man, I really have everything 
I could really want. You know, I've got this really sweet place that I live in San Diego and, um, you know, I surf every day and, you know, I've, I've got everything I want, you know, these beautiful women that live out here and um, partying and stuff. And I felt really empty. And that kind of shook me a little bit because I thought, man, if, if this is like what life's about is just having all these things and um, here I am feeling really empty. Well, what does that mean? Mm. And yeah, just Justin has said something like r- about that right before the show where he was talking about somewhat of the emptiness of shallow relationships. I don't mean to put all your business out in the street or anything like that, but it's like there's this element of like when you have uh, kind of empty, meaningless relationships yes they don't fill that desire that need for right. let's say peace and, and happiness that you actually get in a family yes and so for a lot of people they think okay if i just have this girl that girl or this car that girl uh car or right. you know this life or that life it's gonna satisfy it's me. gonna satisfy you and the reality is it, it doesn't. doesn't that's right and you're yeah. saying that you felt that emptiness 100 percent. okay and i literally thought you know this was the dream life that I had dreamed of living in California, beautiful women, plenty of money, you know, not my own. It was my parents. I'll be forthcoming with that. I was, they were, they were paying for everything. Um, but you know, and I, I was living the dream as far as what I thought the dream was and it was emptiness and that really shook me to my core. And so I really started going, okay, um, this, this isn't okay. Like I need to figure out like what, what actually does satisfy what is real. Mm. Um, And that's really where my life changed. And it took a long time. It wasn't just like, oh, you know, I found Jesus. Um, As a matter of fact, that's the last place I expected to land because I was already so turned off by Jesus and by God and church, um, just from what I had experienced. Now, I came to find out later, obviously, that it was a lot of naivety. Um, I had rejected God based off of what I saw in his people, not what I actually observed in God or what I observed and in, in, in what Jesus was or what he stood for or what his life was. Um, but it was a long road to get there. Um, when I first started asking these questions, I really thought science was going was gonna to satisfy me, was going to mm. give me the answers that I needed. And I just, I, at that point, I knew I just really wanted to know, what, why, why do I exist? Why am I conscious? Like, what is this? And so I really started questioning everything. And as I turned to science, objectively, and not with an agenda, just curious. Um, the more I studied science, the more I started to really conclude it made more sense to me by science's own definitions um, that something infinite created the finite, that something not bound by space and time created space and time. And the reason I say that is because at the time, um, what I was being taught in school was that um, the first law of science, the second law of thermodynamics, is where we get um, the theory something cannot come from nothing. Basically, the universe is running out of usable energy. It's expanding. Um, and so we get that theory from that. Um, and yet that's what I was being taught at the time was that there was nothingness and then boom, everything came into being. And so it made more sense, even from a scientific standpoint, that there would be something infinite that created the finite. And so I kind of concluded, okay, I do believe there's some kind of higher being that created what I observe and what I can measure and what I can see. Um, And that thing isn't bound by the same things I am. And so um, I really started looking and you name it, I looked into it. I read um, the Book of Mormon. I really studied Confucius. I I looked at the Four Noble Truths of Buddhism. um, And uh, I read the Quran. Uh, You name it, I I wanted to know what it said and what it was about. 
Um, because, you know, when I concluded, okay, there has to be some kind of God or some kind of deity, well, there's so many approaches, there's so many thoughts on the subject. Um, and quite frankly, the last place I really expected to look, um, and, and, and at times I even scoffed at, was the Bible. Um, That's fascinating. Yeah. So I, I, I've always been curious about this about you, Justin, because we, we've had this conversation a little bit, but we've never really gone into deep. Have you ever had that type of existential realization with yourself, or did you always essentially believe in a higher power? Did you always subscribe that there was a, a creator uh, to reality and, and those sort of things? Um, no. So I grew up Jewish, right? My dad was Jewish. My mom <clears throat> converted before I was born. I remember my mom and my dad both being pushed away from religion. Uh, just the exactly what Jared said, people, you know, people are what makes you have this, like, well, you think you're better than me because you have, you believe in a, a God. And, and so I think that's the biggest threat to religion in general is the people that say I'm religious. I, I love Jesus or I love you know, Allah, or I love, you know, any, anything other than their own like perspective. So what I've seen is in, especially with me, it did push me away too. Cause when I did start finding out about God and I did start going to church, a lot of people's, um, judgment. And I went to a couple of Christian churches where I saw it, where people would be like, it's like, it was like a, a like a, its own group. Yep almost like an Illuminati kind of feeling like you're better than us. Yeah. Yeah, Like we go and get together for this and you're not invited because you're a sinner. Um, there was a lot of judgment clicks within the church. There was clicks within the church. And so I started very early on being like completely turned off by it. And so a lot of people still are like, there's a lot of people online that I talk to that are believers in Jesus, but not in religion. So they believe in God and Jesus, but they don't believe in organized religion because they say that the people who go there are very judgmental. This is my perception. Yes. If you're a Christian out there, a Catholic, Jewish, whatever, and you think you're better because of your religion, you're a piece of shit. What makes somebody a good person or a person that loves is someone who loves people in spite of their shit. So I'm not saying you can't be called out for your shit. You should be. If you make bad decisions, you should be called out. But there's a difference being called out and then being loved. Right. Right. There's a lot of times where you're called out and you never feel loved. Right. There's that's the biggest, I think. And I don't know if Jared can talk more about that's where I see the biggest issue with people now is I'm being judged because I went out and got drunk and made a mistake. I made a mistake. So now I'm hated by everyone in the church. And now I've fallen short and I don't don't live up and I'm not good enough. And 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 I think that's interesting that you say that because the perception from the outside is not that. Now, I can, I can speak as a person who is, quote, unquote, on the outside of that, sure. as a person who's a self-identified atheist, as, as someone who views the church from a, quote, unquote, outside perspective. It seems as if forgiveness is a little bit more accessible than what you would see on the secular side of things, where it's like, if you do one thing, you're canceled. You're done. You're done. Right. There is no forgiveness. Well, and I think the church has moved. So that was my experience growing up. Mm-hmm. So here's where I think as humans, we seem to let the pendulum swing one to one extreme or the other. So what I grew up in, it was hardcore judgmental. Um, you know, it was kind of a cutthroat. You know, you were an outsider if you went, like Justin said, and got drunk or made a mistake or did something like that. Mm. I think the church, the, the pendulum has swung now to where it's all good. And it's all forgiveness um, in a lot of circles and in a lot of places where that's equally as bad because truth is is not just grace, it's also honesty. Um, you have to, and I love 
the message of the cross because it, it truly reconciles both sides of love, which is truth and grace. So, because I can say I love you, but if I'm always just forgiving you and I'm never calling you out on your stuff, I don't really care about you. I agree with that. Um, you know, and it's easy to do that. It's easy to just sit there in grace. You know, true love is honest, You don't, but it's seasoned with grace. It doesn't just beat people over the head with truth either. But you guys don't think that we live in a society where that is the expectation that you will essentially accept me with flaws included every aspect of my flaws, no matter what, because that's just the authentic me. That's just the me who I'm trying to be. Right. Um, no, I think we do very much live in, in a society that says that. And, and to me, and from our perspective, what we see it as is really, so going kind of back to um, my search for absolute truth, if there is absolute truth, then it can only be absolute because one plus one can't be two and three. If you make it both, the whole system collapses. So there is a best, there is an objective truth. And so I believe that society is trying to blur the lines of truth, which really starts to become confusing because now we're, we're saying one plus one is two and three. Um, you can be whatever you feel you are. Right. That's not objective. Right. That's not an absolute truth. Um, it, it, it gets really tricky. And look, our heart is not to beat people up. Um, at least my heart is not, you know, if someone feels like, hey, I was born a man and I feel like I'm a woman, um, I want to love you through that. I don't want to beat you over the head with the fact that I, I disagree. I want to love you through that and understand, you know, what brought you to that conclusion and what makes you feel that way? What led to you thinking that, you know, something went wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, and at the same time, not, not blow smoke up your butt right. and not tell you that I disagree um, because of what God's word says and because of what I agree with. Um, but I'm not going to see again. I think that's why I loved a lot of um, Eastern stuff and influences. I thought I thought I saw a lot of, bits of truth and the yin and the yang. I see so much goodness in that. There's such a healthy gospel middle and everything is the way that I say it. And what I love about the Bible and what I love about the cross is the truth is this. All of us have fallen short of God's standard and we're all sinful. We all lust. We all lie. We all cheat. We all do all those things. And the truth is we deserve it. God is a just judge. And so he says the the penalty of sin is death, but that same God who was that just judge, stepped off of his throne from heaven, humbled himself to human flesh, came and represented us and said, but I'm going to take that death upon myself. That's grace. And that's the God of the Bible is the God that's not only truthful, but he's gracious. And he reconciles both at the cross. And honestly, it was the cross that blew me away and and was something that I could buy into because I knew looking at all these other religions, it was more about self-achievement. It was more about how I'm going to ascend to God. And what I loved about what Jesus said is it was the exact opposite. Jesus said, you're not going to ascend to God. All have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not one. Um, But rather God was so good, he descended to you. And what most people don't understand or even know is that it wasn't the physical death of Jesus that was so horrific. That wasn't the reason he sweat blood in the garden before he went to the cross. It was because it says in scripture that all the wrath of almighty God and all benevolent infinite being, all of his cup of wrath was poured out onto Jesus on the cross for all sin, every wrong that's ever been done. It says he who knew no sin, Jesus who came and lived perfectly, became sin for us. 
And so at the cross, when Jesus yelled out, Eloi, Eloi, Allah sabachthani, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because Jesus, God the Son in the flesh, was separated from God the Father at the cross in that moment. And he endured hell, separation from an all good God, which is what hell is, so we could have heaven. Mm. And so that's the true story of the cross in the gospel. And when I really first saw that, it blew me away because I said, thank God it's not up to me. Mm. I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to earn God's love. He's already purchased it and bought it. I just have to believe in his word and his goodness. And the truth is, that's been God's story since day one. In the garden, he gave Adam and Eve every reason to believe he was good. He created all things. He created paradise and said, I'm giving you dominion of this. Trust my word. Grow in a relationship with me. Don't do this one thing. So I think it's interesting. You have so much passion and and, uh, you have so much... uh, energy and, and belief in, in what you speak about. And I think what has happened, at least from my observation, is, you know, when I hear someone like Justin speak, I know he believes what he says. When I hear you speak about your faith, I honestly believe. I, when I hear a lot of people speak in public spaces, I don't really believe them. Hmm. They don't speak with a level of commitment. Justin, I want to go to you with this question, yeah. um, because obviously you seem like, Jared, you were absolutely changed by your faith. Absolutely. I want to ask Justin, Justin, who who were you before you found Jesus? Who were you before you found your faith? Because I think there is a distinction that you described to me in you before you accepted this into your life and yeah. post. Yeah, so um, I guess I can go kind of Jared shared his story. I guess I can share mine. So I grew up in a very tough home, very strict German Polish family. My dad, pretty much I was never good enough. You know, if I had an A in school, I should have had an A+. plus. Mm-hmm. That's just how it was. If I had an A+, plus, why didn't I get a, a beyond that? Mm. Why didn't I get extra credit? Why didn't I get an extra? It was always, it was never enough. My mom, same way. The same way. Both of them were the same way. I, they're very tough on me. Probably that's probably why I'm such a hard worker, but at the same time, I went through a lot of crap. But I, I grew up, basically, I felt like I can never please them. I felt like I can never make my parents love me at the level that I wanted to be loved as a kid. I never felt like I could get that. And I had two family, two parents in the home. Did that I, extend never good enough. That, that extended into the church as well? Like into your beliefs? I never went to church as a kid. Okay. So 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 just so you know full full disclosure. So I was supposed to get, you know, growing up my mom converted to Judaism and my mom told me that she was gonna take me. My dad didn't want to spend the money to get me bar mitzvah. So when I was young, all these other kids I knew that were Jewish were like 13, 12, 13, getting bar mitzvah, then I wasn't allowed because my dad didn't want to spend 20 grand at the time to do it because it's expensive. And so my dad's like, you're Jewish, it doesn't matter, this is what it is, you don't need this to become a man, whatever. <clears throat> Unfortunately, okay, well now I'm lost. I'm a little kid, all these other kids are getting bar mitzvah and I'm not, what's wrong with me, right? Now I go to school, and not everybody at your school is religious, but who do you identify? Who are you? So growing up, I didn't really understand God. I didn't really understand the things. My mom would always tell me, like, do the, do good, do this, do this. But, like, why? Why Why do I need to be good? Right. What's the reason? There's no, so if there's no God or God's not really in my life or you don't have the money to pay God, <laughs> right? This is how I believe. This is how right. I was treated. This is how right. I was taught. Not now, but this is how I was taught. And it was always judgment. It was just harsh judgment. And so growing up with my parents, it was just judgment. And then the other thing that the caveat to it was, both my parents' families didn't want to talk to each other. So because my dad was Jewish and my mom converted, they didn't go to their wedding. They didn't go. 
So kind of fucked up, but my parents loved each other, but they just, their families wouldn't support them this over is, religion. They're, they're yeah, the same I, color. I was going to say that. And the interesting aspect about this is that in a lot of families, they connect through their faith, right? right? So do you have these extended families that come together underneath their under the umbrella of their faith whatever right. that actually is so my and you're my, saying you didn't have that my 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 dad's family called my mom a shiksa which is basically hebrew for non-jew i grew up basically thinking my mom was a whore that's how they treated my mom my dad's side of the family treated my mom very poorly very poorly and that led into a lot of issues in their marriage sure um my my mom's side of the family, because of the way that my dad's family treated her, my mom's side of the family still loved my mom, but they were like, we don't want to be around your husband because he's very mean to you. Mm. And so my dad was very, like, I could tell you this, my dad was very generous with my mom with certain things. Like every year he bought my mom a ring, every year he uh, told her, you know, he loved her, this and that. But there wasn't a lot of affection on the daily. There was a lot of arguing. They worked together for like 15 years. They fought all the time. Um, they loved each other. I mean, my mom, my mom, my mom, even when my dad passed away, my mom like still told me she loved my dad, even aside from his flaws. But the growing up in my family is very difficult. I was abused. I was beat the shit out of me. Like I grew up with like getting thrown through walls. So like, if you want to fuck with me, good luck. Mm -hmm. I can take a beating <laughs> and I can also put some beating down. But I grew up with very, very strict aspirations. My sister didn't. My sister was kind of left alone and um, she had the opposite issue. She was just not talked to at all by my dad. She felt uh, completely isolated. Yeah. So it was it was me who got all the beatings and all the shit. And my sister kind of got isolated. Both ones suck. Right. Both of them sucked. Yeah. Um. But through that pain, through that that experience, led me to want to work my ass up to get out of there. Um. And I did put myself through school. I did work my ass off. My parents didn't give me the money. Um. A lot of people think, oh, because you're white and you grew up in San Diego, you're rich. That's fucking bullshit. You can grow up poor as fuck and be white. You can be poor as Like, yes, I lived on fucking shitty-ass food. When I hear black comedians talk about living on peanut butter or just jelly or whatever, shit, there was times in my house we had no food. Mm. So I'm not going to sit here. If anybody tells me, oh, you're white, you have money, they're full of shit. You have no idea. There's plenty of impoverished white people in America. I think a lot of people think a lot of stuff. They don't the, rea know. the reality they is don't far know. different than what There's 12 million kids in America. I, I tell people, eat. I tell Americans all the time. I mean, you, you, you think about know. you think you know about uh financial disparity. You don't. But in the first world, most of the you America has the richest poor people in the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's 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 like the idea of poor people in America talking about how poor they are when from the outside it it's you look incredibly spoiled. Right. You look incre incredibly look privileged. Care of you look Yeah, it's like you live in the palace. Right. Like you better make something happen. Right. I just that's right. my personal opinion about that. No, so that's, I agree. that's the thing. That's the other thing too is like um comparatively speaking, right? This is what is the worst part. I lived in a nice neighborhood and I was the poorest one. So I do believe that if you're the poorest person in the nicest area, it's worse. And if you're the poorest person in a poor neighborhood, mm. think about it. Well, yeah, because most people in that area, they are, do are you used just, to you being poor. Let's, yeah. let's put it this way. So you go to high school, nobody has a car. No big deal if you don't have a car. Yeah. If everybody else has a freaking Porsche <laughs> and a BMW and you got nothing, right. you're, yeah. you'd feel a lot more shitty yeah. than if you were what? Right. In a neighborhood nobody has. So what I'm getting at is 
it is easy to say what you said, but it's not 100% true because where you grow up is a big inflection. I'm not saying I have, I'm like, oh, I feel sorry for myself. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that people treat you when you're the poorest kid in the richest area like shit. That's how it is. So let's move forward. So the reality is my childhood, yes, I had a house over my head. Yes, I had a roof over my head. Yes, I had food in my belly. I'm not saying I didn't. What I'm saying is when you grow up with everyone around you has more than you and everyone around you talks shit to you and everyone around you wants to beat your ass because you don't got a car, so they're going to pick on that kid. So I was picked on a lot growing up because I didn't have what they had, okay? I grew up with kids, and this is the other thing. Most of the kids at my school were not white. They're Asian, Middle Eastern, Indian, and they had a lot more money than the white kids. Hmm. That's where I grew up, okay? Now, what school was this? San Diego. I was at Mel Carmel High School. Okay. Mainly, pretty much like the white kids that were at my school were either they had it or they didn't have it, you know? But what I'm getting at is when you're in that scenario, so I, obviously I know you grew up poor. You were in an orphanage and all stuff, and you had different homes and stuff like let, that. Let me, let me set one aspect of that correct because I think there's a misconception. Not all the group homes that I grew up in were poor group homes. Got it. There were a lot of group homes that I grew up in that were that did not have a lot of money and that sort of stuff. But this was also in the 90s, 80s and 90s. And things were changing in the the system for California. But yeah, in most cases, most of those group homes weren't the greatest. There was a couple of them, though, that were ran by some pretty well-off families that ultimately weren't as bad. Now, my behavior in those group homes as an 11-year-old kid or 9-year-old kid got me kicked out of those group homes because yeah. I was struggling with trying to figure out who I was and right. why I didn't have any parents and stuff like that. Sure. But I don't want to make it seem like there are no group homes out there that provide quality care for some of these kids because sure. I think that would be a misconception. I don't want to perpetuate that myth mm-hmm. because one day I want to open up a group home. Sure. You know, one day, if, if I never have any children, which hopefully one day I get a chance to, but if I don't, I still feel like my experience growing up in that I should be able to to, to help yeah. some other Love kids that. that grew up in that. But let me take it back to the, the faith question because sure. I know as Jared, you know, you were directly affected by your uh, revelation that your faith was something that was important. And I know that Justin has told me plenty of times that his faith has changed him. What is the biggest change that you've seen in yourself when it comes to the revelation that you've you've had regarding your faith i mean personally um to me for me it's just that weight being lifted um i carried a weight before and i feel like when i came to the full knowledge of of my faith and really started to see things i feel like personally for me was was full clear clarity on what the whole reason i'm here for um it kind of goes back to what Jesus said, where he said, come to me, all you who are heavy laden um, and burdened for my, my burden or my, my yoke is light. Um, you know, he, he was getting at the fact because at the time he's addressing people who have been under religion. And as a matter of fact, he was really harsh with the religious people because these were people who saw themselves as better than. Um, and, and, you know, they actually harped on Jesus for... Um, you know, dining with the tax collectors and with the prostitutes and with these last, the lost, and the least. But when we really look at Jesus, he really called out religion, and that's what I grew up in. That's what I um, saw. That's what I observed. And I think in some senses we all try and in some way, whether we call it religion or not, we're all trying to be good enough. Yeah. 
And and that's what Justin was talking about with this constant judgment of like, hey, you're not good enough and feeling this emptiness because of that. Yes. And I know for a lot of people without faith, people who don't subscribe to that aspect of, of life, I think there is a legitimate emptiness in, in a lot of those people. Because sure. I can say from my own personal experience, like when you don't have that to lean on, there is an emptiness there. And I know a lot of secular people won't want to admit that. I know a lot of atheists don't want to admit that. But that is true. Sure. And and what is what and I can say that's true for me, right? What a lot of society will tell you is you're supposed to make your own um reason and your own purpose and your own create your own value in that. Some people can do it. A lot of people can't. But I think that's why there's so much depression in our society right now today is because there's that emptiness for a lot of people. Well, you also, you you also, can just fill that with just stuff. Well, and yeah, I had think, anxiety too, man. Yeah, and we beyond. We have the highest anxiety rate we've ever had in the world yes. right now. And if, why is that happening? Well, we have why more technology and more things and more material. I mean, at least in our society, you we are so stimulated. We have so many things that we can just do at the drop and of the a empty, dime. And the emptiest. And the emptiest, mm-hmm. exactly. And um, you, you know, know I, I know we're empty. I went to Burger King this morning. I'm not shouting out the Burger King because I don't really eat there that much. But I went to breakfast this morning. There's 18 Mexican guys eating breakfast together, laughing, watching cartoons on the TV. There. There's one guy wearing all black, Hispanic dude, all black. I'm on the. I'm in West Phoenix, by the way, because mm-hmm. I'm waiting for SOP to get there. Mm-hmm. And I'm not joking. I said hi to the kid. I said, hey, man, how you doing? He goes, I'm not good. And like real quiet, like talking to himself. There's, and he's young. Like I remember when I was that age and I had all that shit happen to me, I was still like, hey, man, how you doing? Yeah. Like, I mean, literally, I was still energy. friendly. I did, still, he, did he know those guys? No, he didn't know the, any of them. But what was weird was he's by himself sitting by himself. I was by myself, you know, but I wasn't lonely. I wasn't feeling empty but again there is people walking around every day that are completely suicidal which i felt this guy was yeah and i could feel it why do i feel that how can i sense how do we know and this is the truth like if there is no god right and there's no connection how do you know when someone's super depressed super sad emotionally how do you know and if you say, well, they, they were upset, they had a, bad, a sad face. No, not everybody has a sad face has that feeling. Right. I know people who don't have that face. They're just going about their day. They're, yep, that's it. They're short. But he was like, huh, huh. Oh, but I knew before he even said anything, there's something wrong with this kid. Like, I just knew it. You felt his energy? I felt his energy. Mm-hmm. So this is the thing, man. Like, when you meet people, you know right off the bat if you like them, if you think there could be something there, you get to know them for five minutes and you're like, oh, I like this person or I don't like this person. You know real fast. Energy is tangible, you think? Energy, I mean, dude, drive a car. Look to the left. I bet money that guy's going to look back at you. That girl's going to look back at you. Go in a car and go like this. Somebody will look right back at you, right? They feel in their car, you're looking at them. Mm. Am I wrong? No. Do it. Do it today. I've done it. Yeah. Okay. In fact, I think I did it before I got here. Yeah. Looked, you look at up, somebody. Man, you look at somebody, and they see you, and there could be two things. Especially a black dude. If I if I look over and figures, <laughs> I see a black. What up? What up, man? What up? Yeah, you have it. Like what up? You know, if and if you're smiling even better, they they smile back at you. But again, and people mirror each other. It's real. Like yeah. if you're in a good mood, they're gonna be a good mood. It's proven that if I'm like, hey man, how you doing? They're gonna be like. Hey man, how are you doing? Because because if you're like, hey man, how are you doing? They're like, hey man, how are you doing? Like right. you, you mirror each other. All of these things to me 
our energy, and all of these things are based on God and the universe, and everybody is connected. And the biggest problem is people don't want to be connected anymore because they think that the phone that they're on, the computer they're on, and the video game is their fun. But here's what happens, and I know this is real. Everybody who has video games likes to what? Get online and play with other people. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So don't bullshit me and say you sit there all by yourself and you're happy and you play by yourself. No. You get online and you play against other players. Right. That's number one how you know that you need other people around. Then number two, you're listening to them talk. Hey, fucker, I just killed you. I blew you up. Call of Duty, right? I've heard it. I've seen it. Kevin Hart on his movies, he loves oh, yeah. those games. He loves that. Okay. Could you imagine Kevin Hart killing you in Call of Duty <laughs> and talking He would shit. troll <laughs> you so bad. Man. Yeah. I kicked your ass, motherfucker. Yeah. Don't make me call a rock. No. <laughs> you know, I, I think you're hitting on something really important there, uh, Justin. And I think it's that we're relational beings. And, Absolutely. And, we were, and, and to me, personally, what that means is that God himself is relational. And he created us as in his image to be relational. Yeah. Um, but where you get the problem is the fact that we have volition. We're not just uh, mechanical. We're not just robots. Um, God gave us uniqueness and that we have choice. Um, that's what gives substance to a relationship is, is an ability to choose to, um, to be in harmony in that relationship or, or not. And I think that is really, and kind of circling back to your question, I think what's really been game changing for me is that I've realized I, I stepped back and I looked at society as a whole. If you just look at humanity, the whole thing revolves around what we're doing right now is relating and talking. And so even people who are listening, that's what humanity is bounded on is relationship and relatability. And you could prove the worst form of human punishment is isolation. That's what they do to the worst of the worst criminals. Yep, they absolutely. put them in isolation. And so absolutely. you start talking to, to Wilson when you get isolated long enough yep. because you desire connection. You desire and see, I believe that God put that in us. Well, that's another reason why people get old and they don't have sex. And they say, well, how did you get married 60 years and you're not having sex anymore? I have somebody to walk with in the morning. I have somebody to eat breakfast with. I have someone to love on, to kiss and yeah. hug. So There's you so realize that it's it. more than just intimacy. Yes. Intimacy... Like sex is just sex. Yeah. Nobody who has sex is in love with somebody. It's the com it's the it's, energy it's the connection. It's the energy you give that person when you feel something towards them and you love on them and then you get it back. Not all the time, right? right? But sometimes, right. if you find the right connection, right. <clears throat> you get that energy back. And then that's how the relationship forms. It's not about oh man, this this guy made me orgasm or whatever. It's this guy makes me feel great about myself. He loves me. I love him for how he treats me and how we do things together. Right. And I want to make him happy. So he And then if I make him happy, I get happiness. This is the truth. When you help other people, you feel better. If I go out let, and buy let, myself. Let the record show that I hope I get more sex based on Justin's advice of what he just said. I hope I get more sex because of that, damn it. Go ahead. You love on people. <laughs> you love on people and they love on you. It's, it's a reality. Yeah. But it doesn't have to just be men and men or women and women or men and women. It's every relationship you have. Yeah. Think about, think about this. Take 20 people, put them in a room, okay? And have every person in that room be happy. Every person in that room has their shit together. Everyone in that room has maybe a relationship. And everyone in that room has a faith. I bet money they're all going to get along. Put 20 people in that room who had a bad day. 
put 20 people in that room who are all different religions, put 20 people in that room that are pissed off, like angry at their wife, you know, or their relationship. I bet money they're going to have fights, arguments. That's going to be an awkward energy. You're going to walk in that room and be like, I need to get the F out of here. Yeah. If you take that you know. one person and put them in the room with the with good 20. energy people, yeah. you, it's, that person's bad them. energy is going to corrupt them. Yeah. They're at least going to feel it. Like you said, it's a tangible energy. So when I, so when you talked about, so after my childhood or whatever, I did end up going through my twenties with making a shitload of money and feeling empty so I can relate to them. And so the longest thing is, yeah, I had women left and right, bro. Like, I had no problem getting women in my 20s, like, even in my 30s, even now. I mean, I'm married now, but, like, I didn't have a problem getting girls. The issue that I had was I was empty afterward. Yep. So it was like I'd have sex with somebody, and I'd be like, I don't feel anything. There's right? nothing. You know what I mean? And then when you do find somebody you do connect with, that's great. But most of the time it was empty. Not all the time because I had some relationships where I actually, you know, had a connection. But most of the time it was just, it was, oh, sex, right? And anybody can relate to that. Anybody can relate to this. Like, I had sex, I came, whatever, and I'm done. And that's it. You leave, you get up, you leave. Right. It's very rare when you spend the night and you don't want to leave. That's when you know, okay, maybe I have something here. But in reality, in my 20s, I was lost. Okay? I made tons of money and I was lost. It wasn't until I met Adam who was talking to me about Jesus. But during before I met Adam, I met about 35 people that came up to me and talked to me about God. So... And all those stories will take a long time, so I'll just make it simple and quick. Basically, God was pursuing me yep. nonstop in my entire 20s and probably in my childhood, but I just didn't see it and I didn't know it. Now that I have a daughter, I put her in Christian school, and I can tell you right now that it's leaps and bounds different than how I grew up. And I'm very thankful that my daughter has that because I don't know how she would have done with how I grew up. Probably not well. Because I can tell you right now, my daughter cries over the littlest thing. So I don't think she would have had the uh, chutzpah <laughs> to get through life. And I do think kids nowadays are weaker than us. Yeah. Yeah. I do think kids are more sensitive, well, and I more think we're weaker. responsible for that, though. A lot. I mean, I, I older agree. generations are responsible for how soft our new generation is. Our I generation think. is really soft. I yeah. mean, you tell a kid that doesn't look good on them, and they'll cry and take it off. Yeah, I I remember when I was a kid, I'd be like. I love this shirt. I got this shirt. You know, leave me alone. You know what I mean? Little kids have more attitude. And I'm not saying all kids because there always is going to be the exception. Right. But I see more kids now that I talk to. They're so weak. And I'm not, and I do, do you not think, blame, I do not blame parents. But do you think, you guys both, and this is the question for you. I do not blame parents for do you, that. Do you think it's because the times are too good? What I, the, is, is it, is it, Part, partly I think we've become spoiled I think we've gotten such cush living and, and look I think Justin's right in the sense that you can't fully put the blame like because at the end of the day we got to own up when we become adults like you're not a you're, you're only a kid for so long and and I do think there comes a point in your life an age of accountability where you got to just say you know what um you know things have happened to me but at now at this point I have to, I make my own decisions and yes, I've been influenced by things, but ultimately again, we have volition, we have choice, we can choose, we have free will. Um, and so I do think there has to be a level of ownership, but I do think, you know, I, I think we've come to a place where, um, again, I think it's too much. It's all good. You're good. No matter what, no matter, even if you fail and what stinks about that 
is it really lowers the level of excellence. The bar. Mm. It really lowers the bar because now you're telling kids who failed and, and got last place in the race, well, you get a trophy too. Um, it really does lower the bar of excellence because now we just all get rewarded no matter what we aspired to. And that again, that's not being honest. That's not telling them, hey, you know what? You did work hard, but maybe this just isn't for you. Mm. You keep encouraging them in something that they're not gifted in. Like how evil is that? I, I think that's wrong. Um yeah, it depends. I think it depends on what it is. So, like, if it's so for me going to school, right? Like, I never needed when I was. I think sports, in my opinion, should be a hundred percent. You're good or you're not. I don't think sports you should be like giving away free trophies. That that I agree. Right. On. Now, in school, if you have, if you're in school and you're gifted in maybe business and maybe math doesn't mean shit to you, and no, all you really, a really need good know, point. you should be able to push yourself in the areas you're good in. Right. You can get a general knowledge, like okay, I know history. I know there was the Confederates. I know there was Nazis. I know this da da da. But you don't need to be going into like 1832. Over in New, in uh, right. New York, this is what happened. Like, you don't need to know everything. You just need to know the main things, the things that you don't want to repeat, right? Do you but, think that's because they don't want you to come out, and I say they, the education the system. system doesn't want you to come out as an entrepreneur. They want you to come out as an employee. I don't think that that's real. I think that the the system, when they talk about kids who went to school to go get a job, da, 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 I don't think they did that on purpose. Okay. Like, I don't think it was malicious. Because think about it. In 1930s, the 20s, that's what every job was. Right. Every job back then was in a freaking company. Right. Now, in the last 20, 30 years, now there's a hell of a lot more entrepreneurship available. There was an entrepreneur. Dude, the internet wasn't even around in the early 90s. Like, we didn't even use it. <laughs> That's so, crazy to think so, about. So, yeah, if you think about it, like, no, I don't think it was done intentionally. I, what I, I still do remember think, time before the internet. Yeah. What I do think, though, is that they put people in that role beca- and they did the school system and it just needs to be changed now. Mm-hmm. It's not like it was a bad thing or it was malicious or they, the, the government did it on purpose. I don't believe in that conspiracy theory. What I do believe is they did it because they said, hey, we need employees. We're going to pay them. You're going to pay taxes. It's going to grow the economy. It's going to benefit everybody. Yeah. They set it up that way. Now, the last 20, 30 years, I would say the last 30, it's wrong now. You can't take a kid and say, okay, you need to learn all this stuff because now you can go on your computer, you can get on the internet, you can gamble stocks, you can do bonds, you can do crypto, you can go open up another business, you can get online, you can have an automated business. Like there's so many things now to be entrepreneurship. So they should have entrepreneurial classes to teach kids how to open a business and get it done in Bradstreet Profile and do a tax ID and do everything they need to do to start a business. At the same time, give them the basics. So give them the basics, give them the roots, right? And then when they're, what, 12, 13, when they really start thinking on their own, the last six years should be, what do you want to do? You want to own a business? We're going to get you into business school. Oh, you want to um, turn? You want to be a veterinarian? Cool, we're going to start putting you into animal stuff. My daughter told me she wants to be a veterinarian. I don't want to go for six more years sitting in school. Go to college. Hmm. If you're 12, go to college and learn it. Why not? Why not be 16, 17 years old and be able to get out and go make good money? Like The system that they have right now is broken, and the reason it's broken is because no one has spent the time to fix it. And again, the last 30 years, I would agree with you, is bullshit. The fact that they haven't changed it and adapted it and opened it up, that is control. Mm. So before, no, I don't think that was the MO. I don't think in the 20s and 30s they were thinking, oh, well, we better teach entrepreneurship. No, they weren't teaching that because that wasn't out there. There was not out there. It just wasn't there. The landscape today, I think, rewards so much more entrepreneurial than than it did. Dude, in the 20s and 30s, you couldn't do that. There was no opportunity to do that. Like the companies that started back then and businesses that started back then and the entrepreneurs that started back then, 
there was not enough people. There was not a way for all these entrepreneurs back then to make enough money. If you didn't have a company and structure and that right. system, it would have failed it miserably. Support it, yeah. And that's the other thing too is taxation. So the taxation and all that stuff happened after the war. They started taxing us, right? Before that, they didn't have taxation, so there's no really government agency. Before that, there wasn't even really cops, dude. If you think about it, in the twenties and thirties and forties, there wasn't even police. <laughs> They had sheriffs that come in from other countries. Look back at history. They would have like, oh, we brought in the New York sheriffs. We brought in the Texas sheriffs. There wasn't even sheriffs in half the towns. Right. There wasn't even cops there. So how the hell are you able to have police, fire, all these agencies? Hospitals weren't even around. Like there was literally one big hospital, one big city, and that was it. So, I mean, you got to think the last 50 years, a lot has changed, especially the last 30. What do you say to the people who argue that this time is very similar to, let's say, you know, post World War One, pre World War Two times when it comes to the, the the business fertility that's out there. Do you think that this is the equivalent time? No, no, you don't think it's Fuck like that. No, you got to think about it. This back then when the war was over, they gave a GI Bill, right? They gave everybody money to buy a house, right? So what did most people do? They bought a house, they bought a car, and then they got married and they had kids. There was the biggest flourish of economy and money in that time because of the war ending and a big push. Yes, right now, the only thing you compare it to is COVID. They shut down everything down. There's a baby boom right now because people were home and all they did was fuck. I mean, let's be honest here, <laughs> right? There's a big baby boom. No, it's real. Yeah, There's a big baby real. boom because of COVID. Yeah. Okay, so, so do I think the government set everything up to have COVID as a baby boom? I don't think so, but mm -hmm. hey, you know what? I don't know everything that goes on behind closed doors. But what I will tell you is that's very naive to think that we're the same economy in the 50s as we are now. It's a completely different economy, very diverse, very different, and very different products people are consuming. People are consuming the same house and car right now. Some people would rather live in an apartment and do all their business online. Yeah. Some people would rather live in a car, drive all over the freaking U.S. RV, and go yeah. check it out, an RV. Right. Some people want to get on a boat and sail the ocean. And I've said it. Or I, travel. I, I love living into the future where ultimately I could literally go to work online, work, play, do everything from the Internet. Or if I want to, now I can choose to work this hybrid type of schedule where you partially work at your office or you partially work online. Right. You have cell phones. Everything. Most people run their whole businesses from cell phones. Remote, yeah. yeah. You cell phone. Right I think a cell phone and a laptop is pretty easy because the cell phone's a little hard to like get on and trade with a phone. Um, I'd rather be. A, I'd rather have a laptop to trade with. But yeah, you can basically be virtual. Um, I also think it's the way that things are going um, with Elon Musk and and uh, Jeff Bezos. They like Europe just came up with they're gonna everybody's gonna get off work at Friday at one. So there's not going to be a full Friday anymore. It's going to be you work Monday to Thursday, and then Friday you work a half a day, and you go and home, and you have a whole That's already weekend. happening. That's my wife's schedule, actually. Yeah, that's she's already off, happening. She's yeah. off at 1 on Friday. Yeah. What do you so think that's about the that? new. I think it's great. I, I really think people shut down at 1 anyway. Yeah. I mean, what really gets done, yeah, really gets done <laughs> Friday no after good work. One. Whose optimum lunch? time is after lunch on a Friday? I feel like after lunch on a Friday, all you do is talk shit all day. You're seriously about what you're going to do at night. Hey, man. Hey, man. What are you doing this weekend? What are you doing over football? Hey, you coming hey, out tonight? No one's doing shit <laughs> on a Friday afternoon. I'll tell you this right now. Like, I kind of told my guys the same thing. Like, Oscar, too, he works with me now. I told him, I said, hey, bro, if you're done at one, two, just, just go home and relax. Like, the reality is in our business, we might have to pick up our phone all day, every day, um, if there's something urgent. But at the same time, like, you can take off, see your family. And the, the nice thing Oscar's noticed is he can take his kids to a flip if he wants to. He can run around, so he has more freedom. But ultimately, freedom is what you take from it. Like what you really want your freedom to be is the way you think of it. Right. So if you want freedom, you have to think that way. Like I, 
I would love it if church wasn't on Sundays. I would love it if church was on a fucking Wednesday because I don't want to fucking spend the weekend going to church, to be honest with you. Yeah. I'd love it if church was a Wednesday night yeah. because I can get it done and go out and have my fun and travel and go out of town for the weekend. I know they have Wednesday services. Well, right? that's, uh, I don't know, Jared. <laughs> they do. Um, <laughs> Jared's like, actually, we got yeah. a service on Wednesday. Jared's like, I better go talk to Myron and then have a conversation because <laughs> Justin's going to leave. He's not going to be there on Sundays anymore. But no, um, ultimately, I, I think, so we're, we're talking about the religious aspect. We're talking about work. We're talking about freedom, stuff like that. Ultimately, what I what I would share with you is God comes into our hearts at the times and opens us up in our eyes when the shit is crap, when we have the crappiest fucking times, when we feel like shit. And so a lot of people used to tell me, like, well, do you think that's God or do you think that's just, like, when shit's crappy, it's crappy? And I'm like, well, here's the difference. If I pray, shit happens. If I think about it, it happens. And let me tell you something that's going to blow both of your minds. So Angel, I just partnered with the company. Angel, shout out to my boy Angel. I got to give him the podcast information. We got to get Angel on the show. I'll get him. Give me He's my new contractor, partner. I opened up a construction company. I'm going to be licensed in California, Arizona, and Colorado. We are going to be doing a lot of stuff. But Angel is going through kidney dialysis with the, with the diabetes and like oh, so all yeah. the i think it's a dial I think it's diabetes or is it kidney it's like some kind of dialysis he's going through with his kidneys yeah that'd be kidney, kidney failure, failure yeah. okay perfect there that's what it is so he's going through all this stuff yeah. here's this crazy thing three months ago i was going through a lot of stuff because i didn't really want to go take the test and deal with the construction stuff i was just so busy so he's like hey um i just kept praying about it praying about it praying about it. well i met a guy and I met another guy, and I said, "Hey, I'm gonna have you hire. I'm gonna hire you for my Twilight House because I'm building a custom home. I broke ground, and we actually poured the dirt, and we're actually building the foundation right now. So I, um, I'm taking videos and updates and all that stuff too. But I ended up. This is just crazy, dude. So I ended up praying, and I, like one night, I got invited over to my Tommy and Cherie's house. You know, okay, Cherie, yeah, she was absolutely. on the show. Yep. And Cherie's like, "Hey, come over and we'll sign the docs." So we go over there, and well, before that, I was really hungry. So I was like, "Let me just stop in this little taco stop. I'm hungry. I'm on my way home. I'm gonna stop at this place." I go to this place. I meet this guy. He works for Ridgeline Construction. This guy literally is talking to his wife. I'm by myself. I'm sitting there. I see a cross on his neck. I literally look at the cross. I go, and I wait till he's done eating, and I'm waiting for my food at this point. I'm just waiting for my food. I look at his cross. He gets up, and they're about to leave, and I said, hey, man, um, I just overheard, you know, um, you're, he looks at my cross because I have my cross on, and he goes, are you a believer in Jesus? I go, 100%, I am. He goes, can I talk to you real quick? And I said, yeah. He starts telling me that this dude, this is another dude. So I'm, I'm going to interline all of this stuff because it's very big. And I think it hits the spot with the church and what's going on in God and, and favor and what, what goes on and gives you some real perspective. And this is, you can't even make this stuff up. So I'm sitting there. The guy walks up to me and he's probably, I would say by looking at him, probably 50s, maybe mid 50s, early 60s. He says to me that um, he's like, so, you know, how, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm in construction. I flip homes and I do new builds. Oh, cool, man. I work for Ridgeline. I do the, 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 the. He starts telling me about framing and this and that. And um, the conversation goes into like just talking about his business and framing. And then he goes, do you believe in miracles? <clears throat> and I go, yeah, 100%. I believe in miracles. He goes, well, I got something for you. And I go, what, what is it? And he goes, so I had cancer in my blood. I was going to die in three months. He goes, I found out six weeks ago I was going to die. Justin, I was going to die. That's what he tells me. Yeah. Straight up face to face. And I go, and it like hits me hard. Like I'm like, and I think of Angel because Angel told me about the dialysis and his kidneys and his failing and how he's he's only like 40 years old, you know, 41, 42. So I'm like, oh, man, this is. 
And he goes, and I found out today, this is not Angel, but this is the guy I met. It's no longer there. I go, what? He goes, I no longer have cancer in my blood. I go, what did the doctor say? He goes, well, the doctor and his wisdom says, I don't have an explanation other than God, that God healed you. I, there's no, you didn't take treatment. You didn't take anything. All he did was ask God. He said, God, I have grandkids. I want to be in their life. If you can remove this, I will be a better servant for you. I will speak about you. I will travel with you. I'll do everything I need to do if you, if you cure me of this cancer. I'll believe in you wholly. This dude tells me this. He then proceeds to give me a big hug and say, hey, brother, I see God on you. And I go, I go, I, I'm getting chills telling you this right now. Like My whole body has tingles on it. And I go, I appreciate that. And he's like, hey, you know what? Um, let me give you my number. And if you need anything, any help, because I told him I'm building a house and my family, I'm adding, I'm getting married, all stuff. I told him a little bit about me too. He goes, anything you need, I got you. Anything you need, I got you. So I leave there. I go to Shri and Tommy's house. I tell them a little bit about it. They were in disbelief. They were like, what? Because Shri's kind of a believer. Tommy's not so much, but he's not against it, but he's not like in it. But I have more to tell you about that too. So I share this with them. They both like heard it and they're like, wow, because they could feel it. Like they could feel I wasn't making this up. Right. Okay. The next day, I woke up. I, was, I did my day. I drove home. I called Angel. I said, hey, bro, I'm calling you to not talk about business. I'm not calling you to talk about money. I'm calling you to pray for you that God heals you. Can I pray for you? I don't know if Angel's a believer at this point. I don't know anything. I mean, he could have told me, fuck off. <laughs> he goes, let me, give me a second. Walks into his bedroom, he says. Like he told me this after. And I pray for him. I start praying for him. And I do know tongues there, by the way. And I start praying for him. And he, over the phone, he's silent. Like I pray. We say amen. And he's quiet. And I go, Angel, are you there? Is everything okay? And he goes, yeah, man, I've never been prayed for in my entire life, ever. And I don't even know you that well. And you prayed for me. And you, I've, I am in shock. Like, he was almost in shock. So this gets even better. A few weeks go by, a few weeks go by. Because remember, this is like three months ago, three and a half months ago. He calls me up a month ago. So two months later, he goes, I found a family member in my family that tested the blood. They can change my kidney out. Damn, for the transfusion? In his, in his family, yeah. Damn. He found someone that can change out That's his kidney. That's crazy. So he comes to me and he goes, he goes, Justin, we're going to make a lot of money together. And I go, as long as God's blessing us. And he goes, I love you, bro. I appreciate it. You're a great dude. You're a great dude, and you have a great heart, and I, if I'm letting you know that you're the only one who's ever paid for me. Mm. And then it happened. And I said, I don't know why, but God told me to call you because the guy before, the night before, said you know, God healed his blood. Right. So I just had this feeling, like as you told me about your situation, I just felt like I had to pray for you. So that's my thing, my take on it. And this ties into even more, this even connects even more. So Tommy and Cherie find out about, like, because we talked to them, me and Giselle and stuff. 
And Tommy is now going to church with Cherie. And their family has gotten more blessed than you can imagine. They just sold me a house for a $70,000 wholesale profit that they found through um, a phone call where Tommy had the same name as her um, husband that passed away. And um, they also just got a deal from a neighbor for about 150 spreads. So they're going to make like close to 230 grand in the next three months on these deals. On top of street works full time. And I believe, I told Tommy, I said, I believe this is God's favor in your life because the minute I gave God my business and said, it's on you, it's been blessed. This is my best year I've had in like five years. So everyone around you sees it. And so you don't have to brag or tell people that God is real or not. They can watch it. They can see it on you and they can feel it on you. And if people don't want to believe, that's on them. But when you start believing, and I'm not saying just believe because what I'm telling you, but if you would have took me 10 years ago and I would have told you the story, I would have been skeptical. But when you follow someone like me, you'll see it. And this is what the message I think have, and that's why I had Jared come on, is because this would not be possible without Jesus. This would not be possible without God's blessings. Mm-hmm. And everything that we do in our life, God gives us this little message and then it's up to us to take it and that's great and the the true calling on my life has been to be aware that he's with me watching me helping me guiding me and that he's not sitting there judging me or hating me or hurt or pointing out all my failure my flaws he's literally saying i called you i believe this in my heart he called me to find the people that were like me, broken, hurt, like angry, pissed, because I went through it. I went through feeling like shit, being picked on, being ridiculed. And so for me, going through all of that struggle and pain has made me be a person to go out and speak. So when this stuff happens, when when people talk to me and share this with me, random people I don't even know by myself, it's a message, it's a sign. And mm. the thing is, everybody in this earth, whether they like it or not, whether they believe or not, are going to be judged when they go to heaven or hell. And I'll tell you this, I'd rather be on the side of grace grace not that i'm good enough not that i'm better like jared said but that i believe in him in my heart and i have the ability to walk into heaven smiling and happy then the other side of it is a pit of hell that's literally going to torment me and rip my flesh off and i've read some books on hell and people's experiences and i'm not saying they're right or wrong but i'd much rather be hanging out in heaven dancing the backstreet boys (laughs) that was the that was the song of my way yeah, that everybody. Was, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I mean, it's it's kind of funny because there's a movie that they did that in the movie. But I'd rather be the one that's walking in the pearly gates than walking into the pit of doom. And so for me, I made my decision. Yeah. And um, I know Jared is highly educated in this more than I am. Like I, I'm just more of a see it, feel it, touch it. I haven't really researched it like Jared has the religions and stuff like that. So. That's my take. Yeah, let me turn over to, to, to you, Jared, as we close this up, because, you know, I always appreciate uh, Justin's experience and how he articulates his experience. Um, I want to give you the floor, the, the the final take on this, because 
you know, we you're the first pastor that we've had on sure. the show. And, you know, Justin speaks from the place of, of a person of faith. And so I wanted to offer you the opportunity if you wanted to or not. Yeah. If you wanted to, absolutely, you know, lead a prayer or something yeah. like that for you, the people out there who's listening, just because we've never done that before. You know, I don't think we have we ever done that before, Justin? No, uh, no, 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 no. I don't think we yeah, have. Yeah, I don't think no. we ever no, have. Yeah. I so, love yeah, that. you no. go ahead and, and lead us in a prayer then. Yeah. And, and just before I even get into that, I just want to say I can really relate to a lot of what Justin's saying. Being in ministry now 10 years. There's so many things that have happened. You know, I could talk to you for hours about things you can write off as coincidence if you want to. Mm -hmm. um, you can explain them away as coincidence, but I see them as divine appointments, um, as God's providence. And we can either be aware of it or we're unaware of it. And, and the way I see that is we're either in the spirit or we're not. And um, so maybe there's someone listening right now. Maybe yeah. there's somebody who's hearing this and, and maybe for the first time they feel like God's really speaking to them. Well, let me, let me just say this one thing, because I think for a lot of people out there who are non-believers or people who consider themselves on the atheist or the secular side, I want people who have stuck through this conversation to understand what is taking place here, right? I may not be a believer, but we have come to a place in our society right now where we are unable to have a conversation with each other. Amen. We have come to a place in our society where the believer and the non-believer can't have a conversation. Really if you good. say you're going to pray for me, that somehow is insulting right. or that somehow is malicious. Right. If I say, hey, brother, I'm here for you regardless of if there's, you know, or not, or, yeah. it doesn't matter. Right. It's dismissed. Right. And I want people to understand you can have these conversations. You can have someone pray for you. It's okay. Right. It's, there's nothing wrong with accepting someone's blessing. Right. If someone wants to bless you, if someone wants to take right. 30 seconds out of their time right. to say, hey, let me say a prayer for you. Yeah. Like, like even, Justin was talking about. Even if you see it as just good energy. Even if you see it as good energy. Right. I've gotten so far beyond the cultural warrior aspect mm. about this. I'm not going to be on nobody's cultural warrior side. Right. You know, whether it's this side or that side, if somebody says they want to give me a positive blessing, then I'll accept it. If somebody mm. says they want to walk with me, then I'll accept that. But I want people who are, are non-believers to understand you can have a conversation with somebody mm. who you disagree with. Right. You can have a conversation with someone who thinks a different way about reality than yes. you do. It's okay. Man, I love that, Graydon. Honestly, that's so refreshing, and we need more people in the world who can think, I think, and do what we're doing. Um, it'd be a lot happier place, yeah. don't you think? Absolutely. If, if people would, yeah. I'm tired of acting like we can't live together. Yes. Because we can. Yes. Absolutely. No, and so. I love that, man, and I love that we're, we're giving people an example of that so thank you man thank you for having that heart and just having that vibe dude it's it's i really respect that i'm trying to set a better example <laughs> that's good you're doing a good job all right uh, let me pray for us all right um, go ahead. heavenly father thank you so much for um just these two gentlemen that i get to sit across the table from and have a conversation and i think we respect um each other's views and we respect each other just as human beings and um god people need to know um, that there is uh, a still a world where we can have that, where we can have conversations, where we don't have to be at each other's throats just because we disagree on things. Um, we can still have love for each other and respect for each other. Um, and Lord, we're just trying to be an example of that. And so God, I do pray if there's people listening right now um, who maybe do feel empty, who maybe do feel lost, who maybe do feel heavy, um, God, that you would just show them that they matter. Um, that they uh, are the crown jewel of your uh, creation, um, that you made them unique and different than every other created thing. 
Um, and so, God, you, you have a plan. You have a will. Um, and, and so, God, we just want to uh, encourage people who may feel broken or forgotten. Um, Lord, people now more than ever, and you know this, God, um, are struggling with mental illness and depression and anxiety. God, I pray you'd lift that off of them right now. Um, just by your power, show them um, how powerful you truly are. You've done it in my life. You've done it in Justin's life. Um, and Lord, I'm sure you've done it even in ways in Graydon's life. And um, so, God, I do just pray for um, the people who are listening to this, that they would maybe be blessed um, by this prayer and by your spirit, God. And so we thank you so much for this time. We lift it all up in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Fantastic. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Hey, uh, Justin, I want to give you the final thoughts on this because you're the man going out on the honeymoon. You're the man getting ready to go out and enjoy <laughs> your big day. So what's no, up? No, I mean, just uh, I I would say that um, right now, like, I feel relaxed. You know, I'm not under stress anymore. I feel like in relationships, I feel like women do really want that, like, commitment and I feel like it's taken a lot of stress off Giselle's back to know, hey, Justin's committed to me. We're married now. We're legally in a commitment with, with God and ourselves. And yeah. it does take a lot of stress off, um, you know, especially the, the her because she had a lot of stuff where she had to have those feelings that she wanted to know that I was going to be there for her yeah. no matter what. Security. Yeah. So, I mean, that's. I'm glad that she, I feel really thankful that she's happy now, that she's comfortable. And now she's got to deal with me for a long time. And I'm tough to deal with. <laughs> He's tough. <laughs> well, I want to thank our guest, Justin, and it's Greeby, right? Yeah. Jared. Justin Greeby. Jared. Jared. Oh, I'm, so, I'm Jared sorry, Jared. I'm sorry. Uh, Jared Greeby, I appreciate you coming on, <laughs> nice sharing man. your story and sharing your faith with us. I mean, it, it's always one of those things that I appreciate anybody yeah. coming in and sharing their different perspective. Justin, congratulations again. Appreciate it, man. I mean, you're killing the game. Um, anybody who's following you should be following the example. So I appreciate that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in, listening to us. If you guys have any questions or concerns or, or any thoughts about what we've talked about today, if you want to reach out uh, to Jared, or if you want to reach out to Justin, go ahead and email us at the Justin Broker Podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to leave a review on Spotify or on Apple Music. I am Mr. Producer, Graydon Square. We will see you guys after the New Year break. Enjoy your holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa, if you're into that sort of thing. Happy New Year's. Uh, we will see you guys later. Peace, right. peace. Peace out.